It is nice and warm in here. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
Father, we pray that you would come and change our hearts. We pray that you would shine a light into the corners of our hearts and our lives that we try to hide from you. Show us the places that maybe we're not even aware of. 
that you need to work and heal and build and change. We ask, Father, that you would speak into our hearts and our minds this morning. Help us to learn from you. It's in your most holy name that we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the ushers forward now to assist us as we give back through our tithes and offerings. prepare to pray together. If you'd like to come use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Father, we come this morning giving thanks for all the ways in which you pour out love and mercy and grace upon us. We have to acknowledge how unworthy we are 
of your blessings, but we thank you. Thank you that your grace to us is not contingent on our worthiness, but on our need. And so we give you thanks and, and we, uh, we pray that you will make us continually aware of all of the ways in which, in which you are at work in our lives. Father, this morning we come with all kinds of burdens and needs and concerns just from this past week. Some of us have relationship issues that are painful, struggling, hurt. We pray that you will restore what is broken. You'll bring peace where there's chaos. Some of us are really wrestling with uh, staying current in our studies. We're struggling to understand. We're struggling, quite frankly, to apply ourselves. We pray that you would give us grace to think and to be diligent and to use the, the gifts and talents and abilities that you've given us. Lord, in some cases, we are wrestling with all kinds of emotional and physical pain. We pray for everyone who is here grieving today. We pray for all who are struggling with issues of health. We pray for Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson, for Priscilla Walsh and Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, for Bill Roski, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Isla Shea, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our hearts and minds today, and we pray for your healing power and grace upon each one. Father, we pray for people in uh, places right now where it is so cold and people who don't have adequate shelter. We ask, Father, that you will make available to, to them a place to be warm, food to eat. We pray your blessing upon the places of in country and city where they are reaching out, and we pray that they will have enough, enough space, enough food. And Lord, we pray that you will stir our hearts about people in need, what we can do. Lord, we pray for our world. Father, we don't really know exactly why there's so much violence in our world. But it disturbs us, and it, quite frankly, sometimes it frightens us. We pray that through your grace, you will bring peace in the midst of all of this violence, war, hatred, vengeance. Father, you alone are the answer. We pray that, that you will reveal yourself in powerful ways to bring peace. We pray for your church around the world. And uh, we pray that you will help our brothers and sisters who are attempting to live for you in some very difficult places. And may they have courage, protection. And may they know our love and support and more than anything, the presence of your spirit with them. We pray, Father, for the work of your church around the world, and we think especially of Sierra Leone and of the Czech Republic, and in these countries as they are training leaders and planting new churches in very different settings. We pray that you will give grace. We pray that you will work miraculously and that the church will be a presence of love and redemption and hope to people who are struggling with all of that. Father, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for your mercies upon each of our lives. We ask, Father, that you will continue to help us to understand who you are and your calling on us 
and your grace and mercy to us. Open our eyes to see the depths of your love as we offer our prayers to you through the name, power, presence of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture reading today is from John 15, 1 through 17. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. word of greeting with those who are here in worship today. pretty cold this morning. You all know that. In fact, I just got a weather update that said that the wind chill is supposed to be in the minus 30s throughout today. It's, my phone says it's minus 9 right now, and it's supposed to go down. Uh, this is the warm part of the day. So because of that, we, uh, Pastor John is canceling youth group tonight. Uh, pretty cold to be coming out in the dark. And also the group, that small group that meets at the church is not going to meet tonight either. So just please take note of that. Uh, As far as the groups that meet in people's homes, we'll let you all decide how you want to handle that on your own. You might want to just check with each other. Uh, There is, there's one announcement in the bulletin that I want to uh, bring to your attention. Next Sunday is the beginning of Lent. And actually this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It may not be something that uh, you're familiar with, but it is the beginning of the season of Lent. And it is a, a time of um, contemplation, a time of um, thinking about the, uh, the passion of Christ as we begin the season of Lent. And we will have a service, an Ash Wednesday service, here at the church at 6.30. Um, 
Wednesday evening, and we invite you to be a part of that. Uh, we will, uh, as a part of the service, uh, we will uh, do the imposition of ashes, but it's volunteer. You don't need to, that's, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. But it is a part of just reflecting on uh, our brokenness and uh, our need for Christ and his action of saving us. And so we invite you to be a part of that. Also during the season of Lent, we are uh, reserving each Thursday, beginning this coming Thursday, for uh, 24 hours of prayer. And uh, we'll begin at 6 o'clock Thursday morning and continue to 6 o'clock Friday morning. We would love to have you sign up, come to the prayer room, and you can sign up online through the church website or you can call the church office and uh, we will help you get signed up. And uh, we also, in along with that, we're having three times a day on those Thursdays, we're having times of corporate prayer at noon, at 6 o'clock in the evening, and at 10 o'clock in the evening. Some of you are late night, you're night owls, and 10 o'clock at night is a great time to uh, gather together. But we, we are focusing on these times of corporate prayer. And we'll be doing two things during these times of corporate prayer. We'll be taking communion together, and we'll also be praying together, and the prayers will be focused on um, sort of a chronological movement of the last hours of Jesus' life. And uh, if, you, if you have been around on Good Friday the last few years, we've, we've hosted a journey to the cross in the community room where you can do destinations that move from the Garden of Gethsemane to the tomb. And we are not going to do that this year, but instead we're taking elements of that and incorporating those into the weekly prayer times. And so uh, the, the best way to utilize this is to decide to come to a prayer time each week and each day, the, the noon, the 6, the 10 p.m., they're all the same each week. So if one week you come at noon, the next week you come at 6, you'll, it'll, you'll still follow the pattern through. But uh, you get a sense of movement as we, as we follow the progression of the hours of Jesus' life and thinking through that. And so we invite you to be a part of uh, this one more opportunity to think about the passion of Christ, to think about the, uh, the sacrifice of Christ and the events that, quite frankly we wrestle with whether we want to admit it or not as a part of, of following him and understanding his grace to us. I, um, I read not too long ago about a guy who, every time he's done with the conversation, he takes a person's hand to shake it, looks them squarely in the eye and says, whatever you do, don't miss the joy. Whatever you do, don't miss the joy. Now, I've been pondering that in light of this passage we just read. If we were to take a poll of the world, limited to North America, let's say, and asked people, what's your impression of Christians? Would you say that Christians are people that exude joy or not? What do you think people would say? If I were to ask you to think about your own life, would you say that your life, that one of the words that describes you and your life is joy or not? Jesus says in this passage, That that God's desire for his children, God's desire for his followers, is joy. Not just a little bit of joy, not just a, a part of joy, but he says, I want your joy to be complete. He said, in fact, I've told you all of this. I'm going through all of this so that you all will be filled with joy. He begins this section. Remember, this takes place in the last hours of his life. He begins this section, these last words to his disciples by saying, I am the vine. A few verses later, he says, I am the true vine. Now, this is, you know, again, he's talking about, uh, he uses this word, ego me in Greek. And go back to to John chapter 8, and he's saying to the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, 
you know, they're having this discussion about who their father is. And he says, you know, yet eventually the conversation comes to the point where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And he uses that term, I am, to connect himself all the way back to Moses and the burning bush when God describes himself to Moses as I am. And they pick up stones to stone Jesus because he, they know he's declaring himself to be God. And now once again he says, I am the true vine. Now, this idea of the vine is something that connects or resonates with the Jews. Because throughout the Old Testament, numerous occasions, Psalm 80, uh, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, the book of Ezekiel, various places, God says, you are my vine. You are my vine. You, my people, are my vine. And in, in the temple, this ornate temple that they have, they have built, in, etched into the stone are, are images of vines. And they see themselves as the vine of God. And God calls them that. And now here, Jesus comes along and says, let me just correct that a little bit. I am the vine. I'm the true vine. To say I'm the true vine, I'm the real vine, implies that there are false vines. That there are all kinds of things that we think will get us where we want to go, will get us to God. And Jesus makes it very clear, I am the only vine. If we want joy, it's only through Jesus. Sometimes we get that confused. When I was in college, I took a class, I think the title of the class was Basic Christian Beliefs. And we spent the whole semester just working on, working through a few passages of Scripture, a few chapters Isaiah 53, Suffering Servant. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. John 14, 15, 16. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15. And we all had to memorize three of those chapters. And as we went through the semester, uh, we, had to, we had different exams. And part of our exam was writing out verbatim the, those entire chapters. And when we came to the final, the final was very simple. Everybody in the class was, received an article from some publication. We had no idea who the author was or what the publication was. And we had, without using anything, without using our Bibles or any of our notes, just based on our remembering, studying those passages, we had to decide, was this article orthodox or heresy? And I can remember now sitting in the, well, it was a take home, sitting in the library, reading through this article that was talking about Jesus bringing the gospel. And it sounded pretty good about the first third of it. And then all of a sudden, there, it shifted. And I began to realize that the author of this article was saying, Jesus brought the gospel. But the scriptures teach us that Jesus is the gospel. And it's a subtle but important difference. Jesus doesn't just come to say, okay, here's the way to God, let me explain it to you. Jesus comes and says, I am the way to God. I am the vine. And if you want to know the joy of God in your life, you got to get connected to me. He says to his disciples, your responsibility is not to be the vine. Your responsibility is to remain in the vine, to stay connected to the vine. That word remain, it's used a lot in the scriptures. It, it, it has all kinds of meanings, words that we, we synonyms for it. basically means to stay, to dwell, to stand your ground, to, to remain, to stay put, and It's used in scripture in a variety of places. Jesus in the garden says to his disciples, you stay here, you remain here while I go over here and pray. Don't get up, don't run off, don't do something else, stay right here. Paul uses it in Acts 27 when he's on the ship and uh, as a prisoner and they run into this huge storm and he says to the captain, you tell the soldiers to stay with the ship. 
remain with the ship because if they jump off, they will not be rescued. Stay there. As frightening as it may be to stay with the ship, this is the place of safety. Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.13, he says, even though we are faithless, God remains faithful. There is a changelessness to this, the, this word. And in John 6.27, Jesus says to his disciples, stop working for stuff that's going to disappear. Work, make, work for food that will remain to eternity. And Jesus now says, your role, your calling is to remain in me. Stay with me. And as I read that, I'm asking myself, what does that mean to remain? What does that look like? Well, Jesus says, those who remain in me are people who obey my commands as I have obeyed my Father's commands. What are his commands? What do you think of when you think of commands? Rules? Regulations? Laws? And God certainly gives those to people. But when I read the Gospels, what I see in Jesus is not, I've got to follow these rules. In fact, he shatters those rules. Every time somebody comes to Jesus and says, wait a minute, that's not the way we do it. That's not the rule. That's not the law. Every time Jesus says, and your point is, what? Jesus says all throughout his ministry, but he intensifies it here in John 14, 15, 16. He says, the one command that you need to be responsible for and to pay attention to is this. Love. Obey my commands. Love. Someone has said that love, using this analogy of the vines, love is the sap that flows through the vine to the branches. It is the lifeblood of the vine and therefore the lifeblood of the branches. If we want to know what Christ is like, the one word that describes him is love. Over and over and over again, he keeps coming back to this love. What we see in him is the love of the Father. His love poured out upon us that ultimately goes to the cross to reveal the depths of that love. And if we obey his commands as he obeys the Father's command, it's about love. It's not about rules. Because if we are connected to him, if we are loving him, the rules take care of themselves. If our, if our, if our passion is to love the way Christ loves then obedience to all the other stuff, it, it just sort of falls into place. But too often, we get so wrapped up in the rules that the rules become more important than the acts of love. And when rules are more important, what ends up happening? Legalism, always. And we start thinking about checklists and quantifying life. And Jesus keeps saying, stop with the checklist. It's not about a formula. It's about love. If your desire with me and with other people is love, the rest of the stuff works itself out. Our problem, I find, for myself, I'll be honest with you, myself and with other people, is that we have this tendency to worry about love. It feels nebulous. And we're always looking to quantify things, right? Even with love, we want to make checklists. We want to put it in boxes. I mean, we're always asking ourselves, well... What if I love the wrong person? Or what if I love in the wrong way? Or what if I love too much? Or what, hey, if I love, if I, if I really give myself in love, then people might take advantage of me. And that feels risky. And I don't know. So I was thinking about this week. I've, I think I've asked myself, and maybe you've asked this as well. What if, what if we give people the impression that 
when it comes to, to God, that the most important thing they need to know about God is his unconditional love for them. What if that's all people get from us? What if they don't understand all the other stuff? What if they walk away from our relationship with them and when we talk about God and they walk away and all they can think about God is that he loves them unconditionally and they miss everything else? And the more I pondered that, I realized if that's the case, I think we're doing something right, not something wrong. We tend to say we want to put boxes around our love. I don't see Jesus putting boxes around love. He is continually giving himself away in love. Jesus is continually loving the wrong people. He's continually loving in the wrong, in the wrong ways, according to the religious folk. He's continually stretching the boundaries and the limits of love. And in fact, he's saying there are no boundaries. There are no limits to love. If we ever get to the place where we stop and we, we're worried about if we're loving too much, we're being too forgiving, we're being too caring, we're being too self-sacrificing, then let's look at, compare what we're doing to what Jesus does. And if we're out loving Jesus, then we can pull back the reins a little bit. But until that happens, I think we're okay. I suspect for most of us, all right, all of us, Loving too much is not going to be the problem. Because who is God? He keeps saying, I am love. I love you. I care for you. And if we could ever come to the place where we understand the depths of God's love for us, it would completely change us, and then it changes the way we live. I mentioned about the prayer events that we're doing in these Thursdays, and corporate times of prayer. And one of the discussions we were having as we were planning these out is we want to have communion, we want to pray together. Which, what's the order? How should we do that? Because typically in our worship service, we would, we would have the, we'd sing, we'd, we'd pray, we'd do the sermon, and then we conclude with communion. But as we were batting this around, we were thinking of chronologically and how Jesus meets in the upper room with his disciples and they have the Last Supper first and then they go to the garden and they pray. And so we were thinking about maybe doing it that way and the more we thought about it, the more we realized that that's what we want to do and we will focus the communion not as a response so much as an acknowledgement of God's love for us. His unconditional love for us. And we're going to sit around table, a table in this communion time and just reflect and, and receive God's love for us. And once we begin to grasp that more clearly, then it makes all the difference in the world when we go to pray. Because now we go to pray to the Father whom we know loves us and who loves to hear our prayers and answer our prayers and do amazing things for us beyond what we even want ourselves. God's love. To embrace that. I suspect that one of the reasons we struggle to believe that God loves us and that love is really the central point is this whole idea that Jesus talks about, this pruning of our branches. Pruning is painful. It's harsh. And, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not in any way a gardener or even know much about plant life. But pruning has always been something I didn't quite understand because people will say, look, if you want that thing to grow, you're going to have to cut it back. That seems counterintuitive to me. If I want it to grow, let it go and it will grow, right? Cutting it back hinders it from growing. But the people who know about these things understand that, no, it's in the cutting back that frees it to grow. And sometimes you're cutting off stuff that's dead you're cutting off stuff that is hindering the growth of what you really want. Sometimes flowers can get little places on them that you have to pick off because they'll suck the, the energy and the life out of the plant and what it needs and the nourishment. And if you really want it to, to develop the way it should, you have to prune it. But pruning's painful. It's hard. 
I don't, if you read the bulletin, you saw that uh, we are starting tomorrow. We're doing a total remodel of our church offices here. I bet many of you probably didn't, but if you happen to walk in the hallway over there by our offices, you could have you saw that they look a lot different. They're they're, they're vacant. Uh, they're totally stripped bare. And uh, tomorrow they start with that, and that means then that the, all of us who has off, who have offices over there are doing other things. And Patty, our secretary, is set up in room 105 down across the hall from the library. And we get thanks for the guys and people who were here over the weekend and helped move stuff. And her 700-pound copy machine printer thing that we got down there. But it, she's all set up there. And Pastor John is up, set up in the youth room. And uh, Pastor Kevin and, and Pastor Cindy and I are sort of doing makeshift offices in the basement here under the sanctuary. We feel a little bit nomadic. I was thinking about the, the movie Office Space where they keep saying to the guy, yeah, we're going to have to ask you to move your office to the boiler room. It sort of feels that way, you know. We're going to be all over the place, and who knows where you will find us. And it's, it's a little bit of a pain, but it's worth it because of the end result. It's going to be awesome when we get done. It, it, everything will be upgraded We'll have a new handicapped access bathroom. We'll be addressing the heat issues and the electrical issues that we wrestle with, soundproofing issues. There are, there are all kinds of great things that are going to happen to come out of that. And so even though it's painful for the next X number of weeks, it'll be worth it in the end. Now, in the process of this, we've all been... You know, as we've been clearing out our offices, we've all taken advantage of this opportunity to clear out our offices. Man, we have a lot of clutter. You know, you don't realize it until you start going through stuff. And my goal is to get back into my new office with no filing cabinets. Right now I have five of them. Yeah. And I I went, I mean, I'm digitizing files, you know, scanning all kinds of stuff, throwing stuff. I mean, we have generated a ton of recycling stuff. Uh, We have many trips to the recycling center with paper. And and I'm working on that. And I keep asking myself, okay, why did I save that? What was I possibly going to do with that? But it just sort of accumulates over time. You don't even realize it. And all of a sudden, you got all this clutter all over the place. And until you have these moments to stop and to sift through it, and quite frankly, to brutally get rid of it, you don't realize how much the clutter accumulates. And I wonder about that for us spiritually. How much clutter is in our lives? And some of it's not even bad stuff. It's just stuff that gets in the way of Jesus. For some of us, it might be wealth or possessions or material things that that we just are so engaged with that Christ is always just a little bit behind those things in our focus. Maybe for some of us, it's bitterness, resentment, anger. And we don't want to let go of it because if we let go of it, then these people will never know how much they hurt us. And we want to make sure they know how much they hurt us. And so we hang on to it, not realizing that it is choking the life and the joy out of us. Maybe it's living for just the next high, the next pleasurable experience. And that's all we can think about. And we think that feels like it's satisfying us. But of course, we don't ever stop to realize that it doesn't satisfy us. That's why we got to look for the next high, the next pleasure. And instead of that sense of joy deep down within us, we're missing it. And God is saying, I want to help you get rid of those things. I want to help you reprioritize some things. Because I want you to know joy. And if you cut yourself off from the lifeblood of the vine, if you cut yourself off and you let these things squeeze out the lifeblood of the vine in you, you can't know joy. And he wants to prune it. 
and clean us out. And as, as he, writer of Hebrews says, he talks about, talks about the, the things that entangle us, the sin that entangles us and that keeps us from, from truly experiencing Christ. And a lot of that is gets only is going to be rid of, only going to get rid of it if we let him prune us. And it's painful and it's hard and we don't like it at the time. But if we can just see a little bit down the road, we realize this is for our good. It's not punishment, it's love. It's not punishment to, to want to get rid of things that are not in our best interest. Even good things, to reprioritize them. It's love. And that's God's plan for us. But we only get it if we remain in him. Stay connected. Surrender to him. It's not us striving for more and more. Sometimes we think remaining means we just work harder. We got to want this more. We got we to do more. We, and then we're back to the rules and the rituals and, the, and all of that again. No, it's surrendering. It's letting go. It's just wanting what Christ wants. It's, it's wanting to love the way Christ loved. It, it's wanting to think the way Christ thinks. It's wanting to do what Christ does. It's surrendering our hearts to him. That's what it means to remain. Letting God love us and surrendering ourselves so much that we let his love flow in us and through us. I think it's important to understand that this doesn't happen just by ourselves. I don't want to push the metaphor too far, but I've never yet seen a vineyard with just one vine. And I've never yet seen grapes growing just one grape. Always a cluster of grapes. And there is something in that image about what it means to remain in Christ. We don't do this on our own. Yes, we have to make personal, individual decisions. But ultimately, remaining is only going to happen if we are connected to each other. Because we need each other to remain. We are weak. We're broken. We're fallible. And we need each other. We need the church. We need the community of faith to encourage each other. And sometimes to challenge each other. To love each other. To care for each other. To be there for each other. I love how Paul writes throughout his letters over and over again about all the one another's. You know, sometimes it would be a great exercise just to read through his letters and look at all the ways in which he says one another. Bear one another's burdens. Care for one another. Love one another. Greet one another. All these things that we do for one another. It's what helps us to remain in the vine I guarantee you, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We need each other. And the more we commit to each other, the riskier that feels. But risk always gets us to the best place. And Jesus says to his disciples, this is how they'll know you're my my children, you're my disciples, if you love each other. If you're connected to each other. If you walk this journey together. I guarantee you, if you try to do this on your own, if I try to do it on my own, we will never make it. We will always fall short. Now, we might make some progress. But we'll never be fully what God wants us to be. We'll never fully embrace and experience the joy that is ours in Christ. It's not the vine and a branch. It's the vine and the branches. And together, we bear fruit. Together, we experience the fullness of God's love and joy in each of us. It's God's desire for every one of us that we know the depths of the fullness, the completeness of his joy. So no matter what's happening in life, the sadness, the sorrow, the pain of living in a broken, fallen world is going to come to all of us. And this feeling of joy, this sense of joy doesn't mean that we're just always on top of the world. 
Often we don't feel on top of the world. But even when we don't, there's this underlying sense of peace. Of joy. Because we are connected to the source. Christ, the true vine. And we've experienced more and more of the depths of his love for us. So let me say to you what this gentleman says to the people he talks to. Whatever you do, don't miss the joy. It's right there for you. In Christ, the true vine. It's just wanting what he gives. Father, thanks so much for your passionate desire for us to be people who experience the depths of your joy. Give us grace to continually surrender ourselves that we might know your love, the lifeblood of Christ that leads us to joy. And whatever it is this morning that you might have put your finger on in our lives that's choking off your joy. It's misplaced. Help us to surrender it to you, even in this moment. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has in heavenly realms his blessings on us for. For pure and blameless in his sight, he destined us to be. And now we've been adopted through his Son eternally. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your 
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.